The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him saying, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been in a storm on the sea, on an ocean? I actually have. Uh, during my internship in Florida, uh, we took uh, 36 high school youth and their uh, advisors on a 10-day sailing ship uh, through the Bahamas on two 65-foot sailboats. Uh, one evening, a storm came up. There were six foot ship on which I sailed and then slammed down into the, the trough and the whole ship would, would shudder. I was afraid the keel would crack and the next wave would come and we'd do the same thing. And that lasted for about four hours, uh, during which time we had 17 of the youth were on my ship, and 12 out of the 17 were seasick. Uh, we actually ended up tying some of them to a lifeline as they were uh, depositing their supper over the, uh, over the side. Peter's trust in Jesus is unbelievable. I cannot imagine stepping out of a boat onto a stormy sea. Commentators often depict the church as a ship on a stormy sea. In turbulent times, uh, war, pandemics, inflation, divisive politics, 
declining membership in our churches, wildfires. Wildfires are raging throughout the world. The last week, the news was full of the fires in Maui, but they're also burning in Canada and Northwest Montana. Climate change is a real thing. And now there's another existential threat to our existence, and that's apparently artificial intelligence. So how should the church respond? How should the church respond during these chaotic times? Well, sometimes the church responds with a fortress mentality. That is, a, they, we, we build walls and boundaries to keep the society out, and then that preserves our little safe community inside. Other times, the church responds with accommodation. We try to be hip, uh, culturally uh, in tune. Pastors grow beards and play guitar. I don't think either a fortress mentality or accommodation is a healthy response for the church. Jesus also lived in turbulent times. And Jesus was able to both keep a focus on the kerygma, the core of law and gospel, and at the same time, to lovingly reach across the boundaries and, and forgive a woman caught in adultery and, and to heal a man with leprosy. How does the gospel of Jesus teach the church to be the church in turbulent times? I believe the church must prioritize three C's. Now, this is the letter C as in cat, not, not S-E-A. But three C's. The, the first C is Christ. The church must always remember who's at the center, and that's Jesus. Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I pass on to you of first importance, this is number one, Paul said, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. In, in my first congregation, I had a, a good uh, high school youth group, fun group of kids. Uh, two of the girls, Joanne and Jenny, visited a church in a neighboring community on a Sunday night. It was a church that was gaining some notoriety as, as being kind of popular for kids and young adults. And the following Wednesday night, they were back, and, and so I asked them, what was it like? And they kind of bubbled. They, they said, oh, it, it was great. They, they had a band, and, and the music was was good and the preacher he walked around and he told a lot of stories and there was a lot of energy the, the place was full and then Joanne stopped for a moment and thought and said but there was something missing there was no cross I didn't see a cross anywhere in the in the church and and the preacher didn't talk about the cross of Jesus, about Jesus dying for our sins. Or there was no liturgy about Jesus dying for our sins. He, he, he didn't talk about 
taking up the cross of Jesus and following him or bearing the cross in a troubled world. It was all about me, about feeling good, about, about how God was gonna bless me. <laughs> I was so proud of Joanne to be able to recognize that as a high school kid. Jesus told the parable of the man who built his house upon a rock. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the man who built his house upon a rock. The storms came, the winds blew, but they could not shake the house built upon a rock. The first sea is our foundation, our hope, our promise, the rock on which the church is built. The first sea is Jesus Christ. Yes? Two. Diana Butler Bass is a, a theologian, a wonderful preacher, an author of many books. In, in her book, Christianity After Religion, she talks about the priority of communi community. Common wisdom suggests that people believe and then they look for a church where they can belong. Bass argues that's backwards. That's exactly backwards. Bass argues that most people enter the church through a community, through a sense of belonging. They, they find a community that, that looks like, like it's a place that they want to be a part of. And then in that community, they grow to, to love and trust and believe in Jesus. Early Christian writers talk about the apostolic church and, and how it grew. It grew exponentially. It, it grew because the pagan world looked at the church and saw the, the love that they had for each other and even for the world, saw their compassion, their care for each other, saw the, the hope that they had, the, the inner peace that they shared, even and the, the pagan said, I don't know what you got, but I want to have it. I want to be a part of, of who you are so that I can share in this experience. And it was in that community of believers that they learned to trust Jesus and believe in Jesus. It wasn't the other way around. They didn't first say, oh, I believe in Jesus, now I gotta find a church. But they found a community that they longed to participate, to belong to. And in that community, they discovered the love of Jesus. The center of the church is Christ. That's number one. That's what Paul says, number one. But the second priority for the church is community. To be the community that God calls us to be. The third C, third priority, is courage. Courage is one of those seven Christian virtues Allow the Holy Spirit to give you courage. We must be willing to get out of the boat like Peter and follow Jesus. 
Now, Peter was no fool when he stepped out into the water. He was a believer. He was willing to do whatever Jesus invited him to do because Jesus was already there and he knew that Jesus would sustain him. And he, he, he trusted Jesus. Our church today needs courage. We need the courage of Peter. We need the courage to do whatever God calls us to do and to go wherever God calls us to go and proclaim whatever God calls us to proclaim. There can be no sacred cows in the church anymore. For the sake of ministry, everything must be on the table. You must have the courage to let it go and follow where Jesus leads. Today's gospel story is rich in symbolism. It's about much more than a man walking on water. Because in the ancient world, water symbolized chaos. Uh, it was the home of the great Leviathan and the domain of evil. At Jesus' invitation, Peter courageously entered a chaotic realm, trusting that Jesus was already there and was able to save him. Peter was the first to confess Jesus as the Messiah. Peter was the first to baptize a Gentile, the, the, the centurion Cornelius and his family. But Peter, at the Apostolic Council, uh, stood up to the uh, conservative Jew Jerusalem establishment as they were discussing Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And at great risk to his own reputation, he said, no, Paul is right. That that is what God is calling us to do to reach out to the Gentiles. And so it was. Peter was killed by the Romans, just like Jesus was. Peter had courage. He had the courage to go where God called him to go and to do what God called him to do, whatever that was. If we only do what we're capable of doing, there's no room for miracles because we'll simply take credit for the results ourselves. When we enter that mystical realm where we've never been before, then God can multiply our efforts and bring forth a victory that we could not have imagined. In a turbulent sea, I believe, First, God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ must remain central to who we are. Second, the church must never neglect the importance of community, of not only believing, but being the incarnate love of Christ in a troubled world. And then third, the church must courageously enter the troubled waters of a chaotic world with no life vest, no weapon other than the sword of the Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting that Jesus is already there, calling us to step out of the boat and follow him. Amen.